Good evening, everyone. I'm sitting here with my good man, Ryan. Um, we're talking about black things and white things. But Ryan, before we get into black things and white things, I want to know, what, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? I had a Arctic Berry Red Bull. <laughs> that was it, dude. You don't consider the bean burrito part of your breakfast? Nah, bro. The bean burrito I had from Taco Bell, or two bean burritos, which were not good today, um, they were definitely my lunch because I skip breakfast every day. Oh, wow. I don't do breakfast ever. Well, speaking of breakfast, though, we are sitting next to some of the most delicious things I've ever seen. Yes. Um, there's some cinnamon rolls next to us. And if you remember listening to one of our previous episodes right. about my love of cinnamon and cinnamon rolls. Yeah. Um, thank you, uh, the Foxes. Yeah, thanks, for, Foxes. For making these cinnamon rolls that you gave to Ryan, but now he let me eat some of them. Yep. <laughs> so, there we go. Thank you. You're welcome for sharing my black wolf. <laughs> with you <laughs> reparations back to me now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. back um, to you specifically back to the italians yep um so Sorry ryan Mussolini, bro yeah that's true we're gonna talk about Mussolini, and uh i think it's in the episode on white privilege okay um he was referred to as hitler's black friend Whoa. Um, so that's we can trippy. talk about that a little bit um anyway we're not talking about that today we're okay. talking about democrats dims demorats what's up <laughs> dims got some donkeys dude uh them demorats yeah um so anyway, the quote I often hear is that Democrats have been more damaging for the black community than Republicans. Oh, what a tweetable thing. <laughs> I've never seen that before. Or the problem with the black community is that the Democrat governments enable them. Handouts. That's true. Welfare, Welfare queens. queens. Um, black people are always playing the victim by victim Democrat mentality. policies. And ultimately, black people are being used by the Democrats. Yeah, still on those plantations. <laughs> That's seriously, dude. Everything I just said, sarcastically, isn't a joke. They're all tweets I've seen or anecdotes I've read. Yeah. So, so Ryan, when, when you hear Democrats have been more damaging for the black community than Republicans, do you agree with that? Do you nuance that? Do you disagree with that? What are your initial thoughts? I actually don't totally disagree uh, because I think, one, the Democrat and Republican system is just part of the American reality. We can't, dis we can't uh, divorce both these parties from slavery and those effects so just being in america means no matter what if you're black you're kind of used or tokenized by either party no matter what and so i do think that that democrats have been damaging for the black community uh in a lot of ways with rhetoric and in a lot of ways with um the perceived enablement uh but i also believe that republicans have been damaging for the black community as well especially in terms of conversation and in terms of exceptionalism and idealism but since we're talking specifically about Democrats, yes, I do think that uh, they have been damaging. More damaging? I don't think so. But damaging. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in in some ways, I feel like we don't understand how the Democratic Party today is different from the one of the past. Right. Because some people will say, well, the Dixiecrats were the ones that were, you know, sure. X, Y, Z. Uh -huh. um, they were more racist than uh -huh. Republicans. And Republicans were actually the ones that freed slaves. Yeah. We can uh, just say that it's the same label without yeah. any of the history which but the, is dumb yeah we just don't understand how our two parties have been shaped over the years and actually how they flip-flopped um mm -hmm. in a sense where uh republicans used to be the ones that were for blacks and then actually became a little bit more known as the one that wasn't for blacks yeah. post uh segregation being lifted yes um and if you want to know more about that me and ryan are going to get into that but you can look up the holy post video on this i'll link it in the, mm -hmm. the notes section um if you don't know the holy post it's by phil visher who is the creator of veggie tales mm -hmm. um <laughs> he was to the tomato. that's all the clout you need was it don't bob, like you need bob the tomato that. yes i always say tom the tomato and i realize that that's not creative that's uh, all right it's just tom the tomato 
So anyway, just a disclaimer as we get into this, and a disclaimer for the whole podcast. Um, Ryan and I have never voted for a Democrat president candidate. Nope. Uh, so for all of you who might be listening and you're like, wow, these guys are full-fledged liberal, leftist, Democrat, Marxist, Marxist. Communist. Uh, no, nope. we voted, we actually voted for the same candidates the last two elections, Evan McMullen. Yep. Uh, shout out Utah. <laughs> shout out to Utah, Evan McMullen, and former then, CIA operative. And then Joe Jorgensen. Let's go, um, vote Joe. So we also technically didn't really vote Republican uh, in the last two elections, although we Evan McMullen not. was pretty close. He was pretty close, yeah. He was like an, an offshoot of yeah, Republican. Definitely. He was one of those Republicans who's like, I don't like Trump, and so I'm going to be third party. But 100%. he's pretty Republican. Um, so I just want to put that caveat a second caveat is like when you say the black uh community is being used by democrats that might be true i think that's true at least in rhetoric um but also realize that the white evangelical community is being used by republicans mm. uh very obviously very obviously. Um, we're all getting used <laughs> out we're getting here used. <laughs> in the american political system so it's not like just the black community is being used and the white community is not mm-hmm. we're all getting used by the politicians did you feel weird when colton just said white community oh I, I wonder if you feel weird. That. If you're white listening to this, or maybe you're uh, in a blended family, uh, mixed race, um, and maybe you're Asian and you're like, where's our representation? We're going to get to you. Yeah. And Native American. We'll get yeah. to you too. But, but right we now, also don't want to speak too much into it because exactly. you are not Asian, Ryan. Right. I am not Asian, Ryan. Yeah. If we had an Italian. Yeah. <laughs> now, see, there's some housekeeping that's going on right now. So if you felt weird with Colton saying white community... That's okay. Keep listening. So anyway, let's talk about Malcolm X as we're talking about white liberals. So this is a quote I've been sent before. <laughs> uh, not that Malcolm X was a white liberal, but this is a quote I've been sent before, and this is this is something Malcolm X said a little bit earlier on in his activism. Yeah. Um, so let's let's read it. Malcolm X said, "The worst enemy that the Negro has is the white man that runs around here drooling at the mouth, pr- professing to love Negroes and calling himself a liberal." And it is following these white liberals that has perpetuated problems that Negroes have. If the Negro wasn't taken, tricked, or deceived by the white liberal, then Negroes would get together and solve our own problems. I only cite these things to show you that in America, the history of the white liberal has been nothing but a series of trickery designed to make Negroes think that the white liberal was going to solve our problems. Our problems will never be solved by the white man. Um, This is something I've been sent before. Um, Malcolm X had a lot of issues with kind of looking towards white authority figures um, for like solving. And he viewed yeah. white liberals as actually worse kind of how uh, MLK viewed white moderates as worse almost than white racists. Right. Um, Malcolm X was viewing white liberals as worse than maybe white conservatives um, just because of the rhetoric of we're going to help you, but then don't. Um, and this kind of sounds in some ways like when Joe Biden um, was with, was with uh, Charlemagne the God, <laughs> yeah, um, and said, "If you vote for Donald Trump, then you ain't black." Um, Ooh, baby, this, this is this is something that's like, huh? That's uh, a little questionable to say there, Uncle Joe. So Ryan, when you think about the white liberal um, and white liberals saying that we know the black community, we're going to help the black community, we're going to paint streets, Black Lives Matter, we're going to wear kente cloth um, and kneel at Congress, what? What kind of arises in you? What stirs in you um, as you think about the white liberal and white progressive party in general? I think this is tricky because there's this zealousness that feels disconnected from experience. Um, You have all this hype and all of this, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm doing this with you, I understand you. And it almost feels like a constant backpedal to justify or soothe their own conscience in some ways. 
because the white liberal doesn't want to be associated with responsibility for the divides in America, specifically with race. But then also it, it gets tricky because you do want help from white people and you do want to be seen and understood as a black person in America. Uh, you don't want to, especially as a Christian, since we're you know in black and white church, you want people to sympathize or empathize. That doesn't mean you have to pity me, but that does mean, man, if we're going to do this whole kingdom following Jesus thing together, if we're going to be the local church, I need you to help me out with that. And so when we get into this liberalism, it can get tricky because I want the support, but I don't necessarily want the pity, and I don't need you to justify it to me to soothe your own conscience or to prove that you care. White guilt, baby. White guilt. And so there's that. But also, I have a story about this. Yeah, let's um, say, tell my, us about the white guilt areas. Yeah. Uh, Portland and Seattle. My, Antifa land. Antifa. Antifa lives there. <laughs> Antifa? Hillary Clinton, Antifa oh Hillary? <laughs> she <God>. lives there. <laughs> so my dad and I, shout out to Ryan Bruchette Sr., uh, we went to Portland last March, uh, March of 2019, uh, just for a father-son vibe trip. We just hung out for like three days. We uh, went to Portland. We went to the east side of Portland. We went on the west side in the city. We uh, went to Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. Got to hear John Tyson speak, actually, uh, who's uh, from Church of the City, New York. And one of the craziest things happened. My dad and I went out to get Vietnamese in Portland, right? So I've heard that there's a large um, Vietnamese and uh, uh, Asian population in Portland. And so we go to get Vietnamese food. We walk in and everybody in this place is between 21 and 35 <laughs> years old. Yeah. <laughs> Explicit rap is playing. I'm talking in words, dropping F bombs. It sounds real gangster. It doesn't really sound like mumble rap. Like it doesn't sound like SoundCloud rappers. It almost sounds like, dude, am I listening to like NWA right now? And I was like, hold on. Almost everybody eating at the tables is white. Straight out of Portland. Straight out of Portland. <laughs> Our server and hostess were black, and then everyone in the kitchen was Vietnamese. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> Everywhere we walked in Portland had a Black Lives Matter sign in the window, but I didn't see any black people Yeah. other than the hostess and the waiter at this Vietnamese restaurant. I was like, what? What's going on here? Probably and, weren't in the right parts of town, for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got this insulated Black Lives Matter, but I don't see no black people. So, like, what is that? And so that's kind of the the interestingness of the white liberal is, what are you doing? What are you proving when you're actually separated from actual black relationship, but projecting this idealism back to your own white uh, people? It's a very interesting thing. And I live in Seattle, so... Yeah. Portland's kind of like our weird little cousin. Um, like, they take everything we do. It's like when your little cousin sees when you're doing something, but then adds their, like, little own flair to it. For sure, for sure. Um, so Seattle did it first uh, in terms of segregating and listening to black gangster rap without anyone there, you know? <laughs> Fascinating. So I went to, when George Floyd was murdered, I went to some of the, the protests near Chaz or CHOP. Um, for those of you who watched Fox News, it was only about a, uh, let's see, the size of like a two football field space that uh, Antifa, quote unquote, Black Lives Matter took over. Um, and it is gone now. So don't worry. Seattle is safe. You can come visit me if you would like. Um, I took my dad by the zone to show him. And he's like, wow, this is a lot smaller than I thought it was on the news. And I'm like, yes, I was here. Um, so well I was at figured, I was at one of the protests that was happening in that zone. Um, and there was this line between the protesters and the police. 
and on this line, there's a bunch of white people in the front. Seattle's about 70 plus percent white, I'm pretty sure. Um, and Portland's even actually higher than that, um, which it's a city. So that's it's kind of interesting. Um, if you actually look at the history of Portland in the Northwest, it's extremely racist it's history. Um, and so I'm at this protest and we're sitting there and there's a bunch of white people in the front. And there's some black people like starting chants or speaking or telling even personal stories of ways they've been harmed by the police or harmed by the community or even talking about their their sons who were like 16 year old and juvie and different things like that so trying to like get people educated to get them unified get them understanding and the white people in the front of the line the cops had put up this like little like fence barricade and the people in the front of the line start moving the fence up and then the cops on the megaphone are like hey stop moving the fence up we're gonna have to interact um we're basically we're gonna flashbang you and maybe tear gas you and they said please do not move it up any further you can protest right there we won't offend you and i'm like that's reasonable by the cops um in some ways i'm like it's pretty that's pretty reasonable i don't know why they're there in the first place they just let people march but that actually is reasonable but then the white people just kept on moving the fence up in the front and there was this black woman that was standing right next to me and she starts screaming at the people in the front and she's going stop like stop like they're gonna like flashbang us and do this stuff and you know what's gonna happen they're gonna blame us on us on us black people here they're gonna say it's us black lives matter when you guys are the ones like leave the cops alone stop throwing things at them stop cussing at them stop flipping them off like we're here for peace and for justice not for anarchy and chaos but again in white progressive seattle hijacking it's one of those things where it's like i hear what you're saying but i know what's best for you and i'm gonna push this fence closer to cops that's often i mean it's not every time it's not the majority of the time but often what happens is hey hey we hear you black community we hear this is what you want okay but 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 what if we just paint the street black lives matter pretty cool huh pretty cool pretty cool stuff yeah um so that's kind of the reality in seattle i've been seeing a lot where there's black lives i mean when ryan visited there's black lives matter posters everywhere Mm mm-hmm but it's very much still a white-centered, white focus of like, hey, we hear you, we hear you, we hear you. There's actually not many black people here, so we're just going to do what we think is cool, and we're going to mess up with the police. Um, when all the black people are actively in the crowd saying, please, like, stop. The news is going to see this and blame us. Yep. Um, but they didn't listen. Yeah. And so that's— Incredible. That's kind of the reality. So when we think about the recent election with Joe Biden and Donald Trump and even the previous one, and we saw, you know, 81 percent of white evangelicals and pretty much both elections voted for Trump. But about 92 percent of black Protestants um, voted for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. Um, and so we, we have to think of, OK, why did this split happen? Why is there this divide between the white church and the black church? Um, but one interesting note um, when you think about actually black voters. So in a, in a 2016 Pew Research exit poll um, from the election, found that only 29% of black voters identify as liberal. So even though they voted in a 92% scale, it's not because they're identifying as Democrat or saying they're hardcore Democrats or lifelong Democrats or lifelong liberals. They just voted for them because they thought it was the better of the two options. That's not how they personally identify, um, but that's where they ended up voting. Um, So Ryan, when when you hear that, um, even when you think of some of your family in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. um, do you view them as you know black Democrats, raging Democrats, or why? Why do you think, why do you think black people vote for Democrats more often than Republicans, even though they don't identify as maybe a Democrat? Yeah, so I remember when Jim Clyburn, uh, one of the representatives from South Carolina, just basically told everybody in South Carolina, "Look, Joe Biden's our guy. This is who the black community out here is going to vote for." There's like this massive surge of support and that's pretty much what kicked bernie sanders off of the top for the primary uh and what's going on with that is that black people are utilitarian we typically are going to be able to 
find the solution that's going to work for the better part of the community. Because again, being black, just being alive is pretty much to organize and to activate. That's just the reality of our existence in America. And so Joe Biden became the most utilitarian play, the most, uh, I guess you could say, uh, easy shot to getting uh, Donald Trump and his rhetoric out of the office. And so when I think about the black community and Democrats, I don't think about them wanting to be liberal. You have all these white politicians and and uh, white political commentators talking about uh, and conservative commentators talking about Democrats being liberal and then throwing black people in that category. No, largely the black people I know, my own specific family is very conservative, very conservative. Sure, my dad's an electrician with a union and so is my uncle and so was my grandpa before my dad. Um, and that's just because what else are you going to do when you're in New York City and you're black growing up in the 70s? You're going to try to find a job. You're going to try to find something that works because so much of our existence in America is trying to survive and, th and get to thriving, not just sitting here thinking about political or um, civil dynasty. Now, Martin Luther King was an exception, but that was birthed out of the local church. It wasn't birthed out of political ambition. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about that... I when I think about the Democrats and, and being called liberal for voting Democrat, the, the black community at large in America is not monolithic for one. Millennial blacks, Gen Z blacks are far more different in their ideologies, I think, than uh, the boomer and Gen X black community who swung around Jim Clyburn as the co candidate to tell them to vote for Joe Biden. That's my understanding of that. Um, but a lot of us are not really that liberal uh, when you say liberal. And so it's unfair that the black community gets thrown into this liberal category when really a lot of them are uh, not fundamentalists, but conservative and family oriented and uh, largely don't um, identify with a lot of the liberal progressive agenda that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just unfair. It just feels unfair uh, because again, that's black being, that's black people being told if you're voting Democrat, here's what your reality is. Yeah. And that's again, more white shaping of what the black experience is. And I don't, I don't have specific stats for this. Yeah. Um, this is from Sky Jatani. Um, who's also from the Holy Post, but he, he talks about that the black Protestant church is actually more conservative in its theology than the white uh, evangelical church. They have a higher view of scripture, like they mm. hold to inerrancy in higher numbers. Yeah. They read the Bible in higher numbers. higher numbers. They attend church in higher numbers. Yeah. They hold to conservative theological kind of beliefs yep. um, in higher numbers. Yeah. Um, so everything about the black Protestant church, if anything, is more conservative in its theology mm -hmm. and more Bible-based Christians and even white evangelicals in terms of actual action and views of the Bible but yet they vote Democrat. So when you're, when you're listening to this and you can't even fathom how a fellow Christian could vote for a Democrat, and but then 92% of black Protestants voted for Democrats, you have to ask yourself why. Yeah. What are their different priorities? Yeah. What are their, they hold to the same uh, theological values for the most part you do. It just seems like this is a different shaping of priorities or a different experience of the Republican Party right. that has led to this reality. Um, and so again, that's something where it's, you just want to be careful when when I hear you know John MacArthur um, or uh, I don't, it was the Al Mohler um, talking about how you can't vote for Democrat if you're a Christian. John MacArthur said that straight up, no no caveats. Al Mohler actually said if you're black, I understand why you vote Democrat, but if you're white, you can't be a Christian and vote Democrat. Wow. So he was acknowledging there's a historical reality Ooh. that would make black people vote for Democrats, but that same ra reality isn't good enough justification for white people to vote uh, for Democrats. So <laughs> when we think about these things. Um, and I'm about to list off a few things because we want to really hit on the bad things Democrats have done. Because when we talk about both parties, 
You know, sometimes my father, myself, and others get into this rhetoric of like, oh man, both parties are just so messed up. They're so evil. I'm so sick of them. I'm so, they're so bad. Well, we have to name specifically what yeah, and how and where and when and why. Um, so we're going to do that right now, and then we're going to talk about the Bible. So first off, this one was circulating a lot, but the 1994 crime bill, uh, which was authored by Joe Biden, uh, President-elect Joe Biden, um, and signed by Bill Clinton, led to one of the largest, if not the largest, incarcerations of black and brown men in the 90s. That that bill alone, the three strikes rule and different things like that, um, and the new Jim, in the New Jim Crow, which is a book you should read if you haven't read it before, Michelle Alexander, speaking of Clinton's policies affecting the black community, she says, Generations have been lost to the prison system. Countless families have been torn apart, are rendered homeless, and a school-to-prison pipeline has been born that shuttles young people from their decrepit, underfunded schools to brand-new high-tech prisons. Yeah, baby. Um, So that's a huge, huge reason um, that America has one of the highest prison populations in the world. Actually, it is the highest. We're going to talk about that more um, in the police brutality episode, which will be fun. Um, Woodrow Wilson was a leading progressive um, at his time, and he was extremely racist. He was the one, a Democrat, who uh, actually showed A Birth of a Nation, um, which is a, a one of the most blatantly racist films I've ever seen. Um, and he showed it at racist. the White House. The White House. In the 1900s. This is post-slavery. Um, what an American feat. What a film that just was groundbreaking. If you don't know uh, A Birth of a Nation, go Google it right now. Um, look it up. Uh, and that was shown in the White House, I think, in the 1920s. Atrocious dog. Um, another, Theodore Roosevelt, um, who was a Democrat, vocally supported eugenics. This one hurts, man. Uh, Teddy. Teddy, Teddy, our, hurts, Teddy was our boy, right? Right. But yet he supported eugenics. And eugenics was supported by a wide variety of progressives and liberals um, at his time. So he yeah. wasn't unique in supporting it as a Democrat. Yeah. But progressives actually supported eugenics more than conservatives. Yeah. Um, and finally, black unemployment was higher under Obama and Clinton than under some of the other conservative presidents. This is something that Donald Trump has claimed, mm-hmm. um, that black unemployment is at its lowest it's ever been. Um, and in some ways, factually, that statistically, factually that's accurate. true. Yep. It's not talking about other issues, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't want to get to the Bible or end this episode without specifically naming some of them. You can Google them. I'm sure Ben Shapiro has some other videos on it. I'm sure there's other conservative think tanks. Again, we're not a politics podcast. We're a church podcast, but we want to also talk politically um, about things. So, Ryan, when we get to the Bible, what do you think the Bible has to say about political party and Christian identity? Um, Again, when we circle back, black Protestant, black Christian believing, conservative believing, Bible believing, black Christians who are conservative in pretty much all the social um, moral issues— um, but yet vote Democrat and white evangelicals who probably hold to a lot of the same beliefs yet vote Republican at an 81% clip. What do you think the Bible has to say about this moment? Um, what do you think it could speak to us in this time? I think yeah, I think this is such a loaded moment. Um, this is where I feel like even currently my church is is wrestling uh so much with what a biblical or, or appropriate response is to this because this is uh not computing for so many uh, um in our congregation and conversations we've had behind closed doors open doors doesn't matter i i want to talk about acts 2 i, I want to talk about how the spirit came down on the the diaspora and the con- and the converts to Judaism and all the people who got baptized when Peter stood up on the hill after Jesus ascended and said look today's the day that the spirit's coming and then he did uh, quoting from uh, Joel two 
And I want to look at that passage and say, look how the spirit broke down and convicted and said, wow, we need to repent. What do we do? We must be baptized. They get baptized. And then you look at Acts, the end of Acts 2, and they're sharing things in common. They're breaking bread together, and they're having meals together, and they're being the church together. And, and the ideas of handouts are nowhere. The ideas of sharing possessions or having too many possessions are nowhere because those who had a lot got to share a lot, and those who had a little got to share a little. You got to look at how everybody broke bread together daily in the temple, and so even the place of worship wasn't segregated. Um, now, by the time you get to Acts 20, all of these things are different. The church has been a little more, not institutionalized, but uh, the, the fight between Jew and Greek and, and who's really the church had been intensified. But that little moment in Acts 2 explains, actually, it's a huge moment in Acts 2, explains that, dude, we don't have a political allegiance. And yet, America's so gotten in bed with politics and Christianity that it's hard for people to see that as not um, put together. So biblically, I want to point to passages like Revelation 5, 9 and, and say, but look, all these tribes and tongues and nations are together worshiping the Lamb. And yet it seems like how we get to that moment is left largely up to just saying, well, maybe eventually when Jesus comes back, that'll happen. So I don't... Hmm. I wish I had a better response to this, but this is where I'm baffled. Like currently, real time, I don't know what else to say, yeah. especially here uh, in uh, Northeast Mesa, where this conversation is so uh, hard, it seems to have. Yeah. Well, people can't. Right now, there's, I mean, this is on the progressive <clears throat> side as well, but especially conservatives, because they claim Christianity a little bit more than progressives, at least in the white community. Yeah. Um, they can't fathom how you would vote Democrat. They can't fathom you not voting Republican. They can't fathom you not voting for the Republican candidate, even if it's right. Trump or whoever. And even they, when they look at Democrat policies that are trying to help the black community, whether they're good or bad, I mean, there's, sure. been, there's been some bad Democratic policies that force black men to leave the home. Yeah. Um, and you can talk about that and look into that. But there's also been some really good ones. Mm -hmm. They look at those as handouts. The welfare queens, it's bad. Yeah. When I'm like, when you look at Acts 2, the people who actually get judged are in Acts 5, and it's Ananias and Sapphira. And it's the ones that actually didn't give everything they had and yeah. held back some to themselves. Right. Um, because there was such an expectancy that if you were part of a church community, that means that yeah. you give until there's no need, regardless of what that person does with the food, money, resources, whatever. Right. When I give to the homeless, yeah. I'm not thinking about, is he going to go use this on drugs? Yeah. Um, if he does, that happens. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea, I mean, if you think of welfare, it's like Jesus gives us grace first. Right. He lets us decide what we do with it. We can throw that away or not, but that's what he does. Uh -huh. So even our fundamental understanding of the gospel is welfare. Yes. It is money, resources, grace, whatever, given first. And then you have the agency to, to decide how you yeah. want to do with it. If you want to destroy your life, sure. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that Jesus stops giving the grace then. That means that grace isn't available anymore. So it, it just, it, it's one of those things where it's like, man, when Jesus says, pick up my cross, he says, you must hate your father and mother and follow after me. You must hate republicanism to follow after me. You must hate progressivism to have to follow after me. Like, yeah. If you will not leave a political allegiance to follow Jesus or to love your black neighbor or to love your black Democrat voting neighbor, then you can't really have much to say with Christ. You can't even say you're really following him. I wouldn't ever say that on an individual scale, sure. but on an ideological scale, 
Jesus says you have to hate these primary allegiances, which was family in the first century. Family. But right now it's politics, um, largely. Yeah. You have to hate your political allegiances in order to follow Jesus. And sometimes right. it might overlap, sure. But to view one party as having a monopoly on truth mm-hmm. seems to kind of go against the scriptures. And I don't think that's because people aren't reading the Bible. I think it's because they don't actually understand culture. Right. And understand kind of the current moment and how mm-hmm. republicanism was catered to Christian, white evangelicals in a way that we haven't even white evangelicals have no idea where the like the end of the Republican platform ends mm-hmm. and Christianity starts. Mm-hmm. They are so synonymous. It's blurred right now. Where I, with black Democrats, yes, they're voting even at higher levels, but I never hear anyone saying that Joe Biden is God's candidate. Never. That the Democrat Party is God's party. Never. They understand it's the secular broken thing that we're trying to use. It's utilitarian, uh, like I said. So one person that I think has been doing this well for you guys that can go check out is Justin Gibney um, with the Ann campaign. It's actually, I realize I'm wearing his shirt right now. <laughs> it, says, it says uh, prayer and action rather than thought. just prayer and nothing. And his whole thing is he's trying to bring the conservative values of Christianity, whether morally, whether with abortion, yada, yada, and mix that with an idea of conviction for the marginalized, for the racial injustice. He's trying to bring together... Um, in a sense, both parties and showing us that Christianity is not the middle between both parties, but it's a third way entirely. Yeah. Um, that it lines Your up in some yeah. is from Jesus. It lines up in some areas with Republicanism. It, it lines up with some areas with Democrats, but it's not the middle. It's just a third way. We don't filter the gospel through Republicanism. We filter Republicanism through the gospel, and we let anything that doesn't fit that fall to the wayside. Amen. And so go check out the Ant campaign. They're doing some good work, and they're trying to bridge that gap of you know, wanting social justice, wanting racial justice, but also still wanting to hold to a biblical ethic on so many other things. That's why it's called and. Rather than either or, it's uh, how can we do both, um, compassion and conviction. So, Ryan, do you have any, uh, you have any final thoughts on uh, Democrats have been more damaging for the black community than Republicans? Um, no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Let's I just, don't. Let's we got we got sit. some more cinnamon rolls we got to eat. Yeah, so we do. Uh, let's let this go. All right. Catch you guys next time. Later.